As you guys know, for, for the last now, it'll be eight weeks, we've taken on some stereotypes, things we just grew up with, things we just believe were true because we believe they were true. We went to, into a, a building called a church and we listened. Maybe we memorized prayers. We memorized all kinds of things. We did stuff and religious stuff and we kind of felt like, well, we just kind of have that part under control. Um, but not so much because when we start to open the Bible, I found out, and I think many of you have found out that what I believed or assumed about Christianity is not what's in the Bible. Sometimes in my life, I found out that what I believe was completely contradictory to what the Bible taught. And so, uh, so tonight, you know, we've talked about stereotypes about the Bible, stereotypes about evil, stereotypes types about how do I have a relationship with God? What does salvation mean? Well, tonight we're going to talk about the church. Tonight's topic, what about the church? It's session 15. It's on page 80. We'll be there a little bit, as you know. But the church, I think, is a big one because most all of us have attended church. If we, if we don't make it a habit to go to a church, we've gone for at least into a church building for uh, a wedding or a funeral, or multiples of either. Um, but I assure you tonight, just like it did with me, the Bible's going to mess up some stereotypes about what we believe about the church. And as I have said since week one, do not believe a word I'm telling you. Check this out. Check it out with the scriptures. And that's the most important thing. So, so as I'm telling you, don't believe me. There is someone I do want you to believe. And I have asked... Charles Abbott, I've, I've known this man now for years. Uh, I thought it would be great for you guys to hear Charles' story. Charles, actually, his first alpha sat right over there as a guest. And some things have happened in his life since then. And uh, Charles, would you just come up, take a few moments, bud, and share with us your story? It's out of your way. There you are, my friend. Thank you, Frank. <clears throat> Um, in 2011, my wife was invited by a friend of hers to come to Alpha. Um, I didn't know anything about Alpha other than I thought it had something to do with religion. And I didn't really, that didn't really sound like that much fun. And, uh, so I didn't really want to come. It didn't sound interesting. It wasn't fun, but begrudgingly I agreed, uh, to come just because that's what you do. Um, when you're married to her. Part of my hesitancy, though, of coming to Alpha, other than it sounding boring, was that I felt that I was doing fine in the religion department in my life. Uh, I had grown up in a moderately religious family, um, attended an all-boys high school on the North Shore. Uh, as a family, went to church almost every Sunday, every other Sunday. Following high school... I didn't really go to church other than really, you know, weddings, funerals, Easter, Christmas, and whenever I had probably done something pretty bad that Saturday night, um, I felt like I really needed to get in there, and um, I don't know, that's where I think you're supposed to go. And, but regardless, I, I committed to my wife that I would go to Alpha at least for the first one. I really didn't have much of a choice. Um, but I just said, I'll go to one. I'm probably not going back a second time. But secretly, I didn't need to be told about religion. I had my own faith. I was solid. I was good. 
and whatever anybody was going to stand up here and talk about when it came to religion, I was probably going to be able to poke a hole in it and prove that person wrong. So night one of Alpha, similar to night one of this one, uh, or week one, the entire room was asked if you believed in eternal life. Similar to this, I think we had 97% of the folks uh, here, same as what it was in 2011, all the hands went up. Um, and, and mine did too. And then we were asked about the Bible and whether we believed it contained the answers about eternal life. And my hand went up. I said that I did. But as the night went on, I realized that while I had said those things, I had spent so little time actually reading the Bible, nor did I have any appreciation of what it actually said and what it didn't say. And that did something to me. The awareness of my ignorance was truly brought to life. I could feel something start burning inside of me, and it wasn't that I was proving Frank wrong. I could feel scales literally removing from my eyes. I had basically based my entire religious belief in my own system on something that I had actually never pursued or critically analyzed or given any thought to. Yet I was extremely defensive of it and extremely loyal to whatever my religion was, um, but I really had no clue what it even was. And this is probably the only area in my life where I had approached um, something like this, of just accepting, believe me because you know, my parents believed it, or believe this because that's what other people say to believe. Uh, as, a, as a corporate litigation attorney, I had spent, and still do, hours and hours stressing over other people's problems, investigating every possible defense in cases, spending hundreds and thousands of, reviewing hundreds and thousands of pages of documents, looking for needles in haystacks, and analyzing every detail of issues. I've worked around the clock for months on end preparing for trials, uh, not only learning the law, but having to learn toxicology, epidemiology, accounting, oncology, engineering, all of these different things, I will literally go and spend and did countless hours, exhausting, seven days a week, if someone will pay me to do it or for money. Um, without a question, I will go do it. And I was willing to dedicate all of my mind, my energy to the stressors of my family for that if you're willing to pay me for it. But my salvation and my truth and the truth, something much more than money or the law, I had basically dismissed that concept altogether and given little thought to it. I had spent virtually no hours in my life actually examining what eternal life meant, what the Bible actually said about Jesus. Me as a sinner, my so-called religion, which I think Frank pretty much summed up of my meology. 
So I left week one of Alpha fully confident that I had not proven Frank wrong, and I needed to get some things in check. I agreed to attend week two, still acting like it was my wife you know, making me, but I was, something was telling me I needed to come. Uh, I kind of wanted to prove Frank wrong still, but I was coming at it from a very much more open-minded, filled with a hunger and an excited curiosity. Not to accept what he was telling me, but just to see, I wanted to know what was the truth. Whichever way the chips fell, however it landed, I just was dying to know what the truth was. And then I heard one of the quotes from C.S. Lewis that Frank had put up there, um, I think it was week two. And it basically says, not basically, it's a quote, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if true, of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And I had approached my whole religious faith, my belief system, that it was just kind of moderately important. One foot in, one foot out. And if the Bible is true, and I believed it was, then that quote was exactly right. And my system was so incredibly wrong. And I could not let that go. Something kept burning inside of me explaining, this is of infinite importance. Fast forward to uh, week four, I prayed the sinner's prayer and surrendered my life to Christ and said, I do. I didn't shed tears at that moment. Um, I did not have bright, li bright lights flashing off in front of me. Um, but as the weeks continued throughout Alpha, I realized that I had been saved, had been born again. Fast forward 12 years later, here I am, confident in my faith, confident in the truth, and born again. And has my confidence at times been tested? Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Uh, the things that I believe in, uh, do, I get, do I have questions at times? 100%. But when we talk about what is the church, that is the importance of the church. Uh, people like Cliff, I hate giving him credit. I really do. Um, but a dear friend who will call me and give me the encouragement of a mature Christian who's been doing this for a very long time um, to just give me the encouragement of, hey, do you have questions? How are you doing? How are you doing in your faith? The, just, the conversations with my wife, uh, and I think we'll go through tonight, of, of what is church. Um, and it's not exactly probably what most of the stereotypes, and certainly not what I believed. Um, it's the people like Cliff. It's my wife. It's folks like Frank. At the end of the day, not only... Is it those relationships um, for me, but also for my wife and children? Uh, and probably one of the greatest gifts that I can give to my children. Uh, and it's not all of these other things that I would have thought about as being gifts for my children. But it's to see them following Christ 
um, and given their life to Christ as well. What Christ's church has done for my wife, my marriage, my children, my family um, is truly indescribable and entirely priceless. Thank you for listening. Alpha 12. Thank you, Charles. Gosh, that was 2011? Was it really that long ago? Whew, that's something. Time flies whether you're having fun or not. Um, thank you, Charles, really. Um, God, I, I, I asked Charles to do that. I could ask any numbers of people. You should have heard Rachel Maltzahn share her story over the weekend. It was just wonderful. I would encourage you to go listen to the Alpha Weekend just to hear Rachel's story, if nothing else. Just wonderful. Um, but as, you know, as Charles said, um, you know, Christianity is not, um, an, a, a sport, a one person sport. It, it, it requires people, people who first love God, people who then desire to be loved by others and to, re- and to receive that love as well. But, you know, when you think about church, when you grow up thinking about church, I mean, what do you think about? And there's a lot of popular misconceptions about church, that the church equals services. You know, when do you have church? Uh, church equals the clergy, the leadership of the church. What did the church have to say about that position on this issue? Um, or that the church is a particular denomination. Hey, what kind of church do you go to? What denomination is it? Or that the church is a building. Where's your church? Where's the location of your church? But biblically, the church is not a service. The church has services, but it's not a service. The church has leaders, but it's not the leaders. The church has denominations, but it's not the denomination. The church has locations where the meeting takes place. But the church building is not the church. Now, the church in the original language here, the, word, the, the Greek is the word ekklesia. It's a compound word. Ek means out of, and klesia is called. And so literally, the, the word church means called out of or called out ones. So church is really not an issue of meetings or leadership or locations or denominations. That's fine that we use that terminology. But I I do want to split hairs with this tonight. The church is not what you and I think. So it talks about, you know, we hear that the, the church is being called out from someplace into another place. That's what called out means. And we've talked about this on many occasions. There's a change of address. We are taken out of Adam's race and placed into Christ. We are taken out of the dominion of darkness and placed into what is the church. And as I said, the church is so much more than what you and I believe. I had never considered the church this way. So This is not the church. You can go into a building and it may have the name church on it, but it's not the church. It's just a building where people go. You know, you could say of my house, 
That's the Lorias. I point in that direction because we live in that direction. That's the Lorias. But it's not the L-O-R-I-A-S. It's the L-O-R-I-A apostrophe S. It's, it's the possession of us. But it's not us. That's not us. Uh, you could go to the Superdome and say, well, that's the saints. No, that's where they play. I guess you could call it that. They did pretty well this weekend. But, but it's, it's the people. And so I'm just going to give you four points tonight of what, what the church is biblically. The church is God's body, God's home, God's people, God's family. The church is not the building. It is not the building. So let's just look at this, this first one. The church is the body of Christ. The church is an organism. It's a living organism, which has, just like our physical bodies have organization, we're grateful that our bodies have organization. Sometimes that organization needs to get fixed. But it's a living organism. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. He says, for as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So just as a body has different parts, the church, as the body of Christ, has different parts. And it's so important for us to know that. Membership into Jesus Christ's church or his body, is a result of being in Christ. It's a result of being in his body. So you and I can go to a church building, according to the scripture, we can go to a part of the church building and still be an Adam. Going into a building, I I know you've heard this, forgive me, you know, going into a church no more makes you a follower of Christ than going into McDonald's makes you a hamburger, okay? Everybody's heard that one, right? Not everybody's heard that one, it's just, but do you see the point? You see the point that, What we're looking to see here is what's the Bible say? The Bible's telling me that church is much more than a building with stained glass or pews or hymnals or Bibles. Biblically, that's not the church. The church is a living organism. Let's just say that the church is a home. Okay, it's, it's a, a holy temple. It's where God dwells. So in the Old Testament, God called his people to build a house for him. Not because he needed it, but so that they would know his nearness. They would have something that would show his physical nearness. They could relate to that. Well, in the Old Testament, as God dwelled in a building made by hands... In the New Testament, God dwells in a building that has hands. That is you and me. He comes to dwell in us. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. The scripture goes on to say you've been bought with a price do you not if you are in christ then christ is in you and you become the very dwelling place of god god comes to set up his abode in us so that 
the, the beauty of who he is, the joy of who he is, the love of who he is gets to be seen out from those where God dwells. And so we see here as well that Peter writes this. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Do you see this? Your temple, body's a temple of the spirit. You yourselves, he's talking to the plural, all those who are in Christ, you're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's unpack this a little bit here. Living stones fitted together intentionally by God. Now look, if you're not familiar with the scripture, this is really weird. And I'm going to tell you some things in here that are going to sound even weirder to you. That God has come to make his dwelling place in you that's what the scripture says. And that's, if you're in Christ, you've experienced that as well. But he says this, that you're being built up as a spiritual house. So living stones, stones basically fitted together, people fitted together with different gifts at different times. Some stones set next to one another, some above others. You know, they're, they're, they're sitting on top of other stones, some underneath, some younger, some older Okay, all those are aspects of support and needing support. Uh, all those are, as, I, as, as Charles was saying a moment ago, the relationship uh, with Cliff and he just, just kind of growing up together. And then he says, we're built up as a spiritual house to be... Now, who's this written to? This is written to the commoners, the commoners in Christ. This is like just you or me. Don't have a seminary degree. Nothing like that. We're welders, we're fitters, we're engineers, we're attorneys, uh, we're housekeepers, you know, we're nannies, we're whatever we may be. That's the church. To be a holy, you see that word there? Priesthood. Now look, you and I grew up in a city where 85% of us are Roman Catholic. That's how I grew up. I don't consider a priest a welder or a pipe fitter or an engineer or a medical technician. A priest is somebody that does something in a church service on a Sunday or every other day of the week. Surprise. God says anyone that is in Christ is a holy priesthood. Now, so what is a priest? Well, in the Old Testament, a priest is one that had a relationship with God. He is the one that presented the people to God and he presented God to the people. Well, once Christ comes and lives in you and makes you his home, we now, as what Peter said, you know, Peter, the apostle said, we are the ones that present the people to God. I can pray for you and I have prayed for every one of you often. But I also get to present God to the people, the people to God and God to the people. And so if what the scripture says is true, everyone that is in Christ is a royal priesthood. Now, again, I know there are offices that the scripture has, but every one of us who have a relationship with God are called 
to this big word, which we thought was isolated to certain people. But the scripture says every one of us can go to God on behalf of others. And every one of us, because of our relationship with, with God, can bring God to others as well. It's really that exciting and true. A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. What, what, are, what are spiritual sacrifices? Okay, well, obviously we're not, you know, the Jews would bring goats and bulls and sheep. And there'd be lots of bloody sacrifices. The sacrifice is my saying, Lord, no longer my will, but your will. I will love when it's hard to love. I will give when it's hard to give. Because you're much more important than any of those things. What else is the church? The church is the people of God. Again, here's, but you know, and, and I think this is our rub. People who make up the church are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And a lot of people say, I want nothing to do with that Jesus stuff because of people that they see that make up the church. And I get that. But, you know, even the best of us make mistakes sometimes. And those mistakes seem to show a whole lot more inside of church bulletins. And I just want to share with you just some of these things in church bulletins that may show us how imperfect the church is. Ladies. Don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. Probably not worth keeping around the house. Uh, oh, the associate minister unveiled the church's new tithing campaign slogan last Sunday. Here it is. I up my pledge. Up yours. Oh, this being Easter Sunday, we will ask Mrs. Lewis to come forward and lay an egg on the altar. Can you imagine reading that going, what? She's going to do what? Uh, oh, Barbara. She remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusion. She's also having trouble sleeping and, ask, and requests the tapes of Pastor Jack's sermons. <laughs> or alpha tapes. Maybe she'd like alpha as well. Uh, low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7. From 7 to 8, please use the back door. People low self-esteem. I don't know if you guys are familiar with missionaries, but um, Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Memorial Church in Racine. Come tonight and hear Bertha Belch all the way from Africa. Did you hear that? And then, of course, the most important of them all, don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. Oftentimes, that's what does happen. So anyway, but not so bad. But here's what Peter, the apostle Peter, has to say about those in Christ. He says, but you are. Now, again, if you're in Christ, this is what he's saying about you. I didn't ask you whether you felt like it or not. Uh, but this is what he has to say about those of us are in Christ. He says, you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. That word royal there means kingly priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness, out of Adam, 
and into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, you were in Adam, but now you are the people of God. You're in Christ. You had not received mercy while you were in Adam, but now you have received mercy because you are in Christ. Look at these words and think about these. Don't just give them a passing glance. What do you mean, God, when you say through the apostle Peter, I'm a chosen race? Now, I don't have time to unpack all this. Maybe you can do this more at your table. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. He's describing here the church of Jesus Christ and who he says each and every one in Christ is. Hey, you were once not a people. Frank, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, again, you, you see this here. This, you were not a people. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God if you're in Christ. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This C, I could just put here, church probably, uh, for because that, if you are in Christ, you are a member of God's church. You're a member of God's universal church across the world, brothers and sisters with people in Israel, I hope you're praying for Israel, Ukraine, hope you're praying for Ukraine, Switzerland, wherever it may be. It's really funny because when we talk about the church being the people of God, I, I, was, I was at a, a men's retreat once and I saw this t-shirt and I, my brother eventually got it for me. But this t-shirt, I love this. I said, please let me take a picture of you. The church has left the building, which I just thought was so good. So the church is all these things. The church is a body. The church is a people. The church is a home. Uh, I, uh, let's see this one right here. The church is a related family. Here's what John writes. Everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. You've been born of the same God. You're born into the same family. It doesn't matter what denomination you may be at all. The issue is, are you in Christ? So it doesn't matter if you're in Christ and you're a, me oh, there's a Methodist in there. It doesn't matter if you're in Christ or you're Presbyterian or non-denominational or anything else. It just doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. Uh, then John writes in his gospel, to as many as received him, we've talked about this in week three, to those who believe in his name, to them, he gave the right to become children of God. I mean, what this scripture is clearly saying in other places is saying, as, as we talked about earlier, you, when you're born into the world in Adam, you're a creation of God. You are an image bearer of God. But until you receive Christ or I receive Christ, we are not children of God. We become children of God when we receive him, when we say, I do, when we receive the gift. And then John again, behold, what manner of love the father has given to us that we could be called the children of God and such we are. Pretty amazing. That's what the Bible has to say. And then in Ephesians this, and he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away. That means you weren't thinking of a lick about Jesus. And all of a sudden you show up here 
or you meet somebody. And peace to those who are near. Folks that were, I mean, there have been folks here in every stretch of the line of where you're thinking about, what you're thinking about spiritual things. So a far away or near, for through him, we both have our access in one spirit, by the spirit. We talked about that so much this weekend, to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, you're no longer in Adam, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Okay, here's another word. Saints aren't picked by people to be saints based on what they do and they don't do. With all due respect, that is not a biblical definition of a saint. A saint is one who's been taken out of Christ, been played out of Adam into Christ, and because and by virtue of being in Christ, the holiness of Christ is now imputed to us. And the word for that is... The Latin word for that is sanctus, or saint, or holy ones. And so, if you're in Christ, the Bible says we are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. We are called together as a household. It's just so important to see that. So... We see that the church is biblically characterized by intimate family descriptions, not distant or non-meaningful relationships or acquaintances of people. The church is people related to each other. We share a spiritual family connection in Christ. People responsible for one another, never alone. They're people in Christ who are about the well-being and the, the, the building up of one another. That's biblical church. I mean, there's no such thing as an isolated, healthy follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, you, uh, you take a, if you're ever barbecuing, you take your briquettes, don't you? And you pile them all together and you light them together. And why do you do that? So they'll burn together. What happens when you take one of those briquettes and you just put it off to the side? What happens? It just kind of goes out by itself. See, the church is meant to burn together. It should always be obvious as to how much we need our family. But there are times when it's more uh, evident than others. I remember when, when uh, my bride was, was diagnosed, uh, gosh, 12, 13 years ago now with breast cancer. And it was going to be a nine-hour surgery that Annette had to go through. And when we showed up, at that hospital on that morning, we were greeted by at least 40 people from this family who were there to, to pray and just to stay there and pray through the day with me. And that's happened on numerous occasions. And that's what the church is. I mean, I, you know, we, we've heard this. I mean, if you've lived long enough, you've, you've heard this um, Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and see all the people. If you're not familiar with that, your table leader will teach you how to do that later. But this is the church. This is just a steeple and this is just a building. The church are living organisms taken out of Adam, placed into Christ to live a life of 
joy together. The church is a body, a home, a people, a family. Now, for many of us, why is church boring or irrelevant? I would argue because it lacks biblical characteristics that we look for. What do we look for when we look for a church? Well, maybe the shortest service, maybe the one closest to the house, uh, convenient time offered, parking. Um, but that's just practicing religious meology. That's, that's really all, all it is. It's what I want. Um, where do I, though, go for these things? Well, I don't want to go for them in, to Adam's religious kin. I mean, you've been called out of. Um, so let me just ask you this. Um, I hope over the last weeks that you've been to, we've been together, uh, you recall one of the knots of Alpha is that this is not about you leaving your church or denomination. And that's true. Absolutely true. I mean that. But I still have to ask you, if you've learned more about the Bible in the last eight weeks now or less, attending Alpha, than you have in all your years of attending the church that you've attended. I, I got to ask you, maybe you just need to dig in deeper where you are. Maybe you need to ask questions of, of the, the leadership. Hey, can I get into the Bible more? Um, or at least, you know, just yourself saying, God, am I where you, am I where you want me to be? I think that's a, I think that's a good question. I think it's a really good question. Because I believe in every one of us, there's a, there are, if you're here, there's a hungering to know more about what is the truth and what does this Bible have to say. And that's why we go on with foundations after this. That's why we don't just stop this off. So if Alpha, which is, is an introduction to Christianity, was new material for you, or a lot of it was new material, uh, then would it make sense to consider maybe where God would have you? Or, as I said, trying to dive deeper into where you are. A great philosopher said, and I don't know who it was, but he said this, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you'll keep getting what you got. Right? You keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you got. Whatever it may be. But if you have noticed over the course of the weeks that you've been here, that you've sensed that God-shaped hole inside of you, and you've even maybe noticed it. Some of you filled up completely, and I'm so grateful for that. For those of you who've gone from curious to committed, or curious to, or convinced to committed, wherever you may be, but you begin to feel that, that hole closing. Um, my question is, what are you waiting for? Now, that's, you don't have to give me that answer. But, I mean, I love what... what C.S. Lewis said, of many things, he said, we all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road in that road. In that case, the man or the woman who turns back soonest is the most progressive. In other words, if you are sensing that something's missing and you're going to keep walking down that same road, guess what's going to happen? If you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to get what you got. But Lewis, a devout atheist, realized he was on the wrong road. And for him, it meant doing a about turn and walking back to the right road. 
And for him, it meant an immediate change in his life. And he realized that life was in Christ. And so we are so grateful that you guys have been here over these weeks with us watching live stream or coming to be with us live. We just hope that in these weeks that we've had together, you are maybe thinking about God who is thinking about you, who is nearer than you know in ways which you never ha- maybe never have before or more strongly than you ever have. And that is making you consider, is Jesus knocking at the door of my heart? Is he really there? Does he really care? And let me just say this. If, if he is knocking at the door of your heart, I, I've seen a drawing that shows Jesus knocking at the door. But the doorknob, there's no doorknob on the outside. The doorknob is on the inside. Which means... If he's there, he's knocking. He doesn't bring a bulldozer. He brings his heart. He brings his love. He brings his salvation. The question is, will I open that door? Well, as I said also, look, wherever you are, keep seeking. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. To him who seeks, he finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open to him. We thank you so much for opening your lives to us over these last eight weeks. We'd love to see you next week. But if not, we're just grateful that we've had these eight weeks with you. And I hope you'll enjoy your, your last time together with your, at your tables. So thank you all so much for coming, and we truly appreciate the time you've given us with you. Let's take a quick break.